Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Euro's All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. Before we kickstart today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the Vauxhall ELCV range. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van. With an electric range of up to 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you are already thinking of making the leap to an all-electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. TalkSport's game day post-match podcast returns with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport transfer guru and commentator Alex Crook, and Premier League 100 club member and former England international Darren Bent. Coming up, football being killed by unnatural causes as handball law changed proves utterly dire. Ward, Lindelof and Doherty all fought the law and the law won. Pep's rear Guardiola falters as City pay the penalty whilst Jamie has a socially distant party. Silver lining for Frank after Thiago mistake and Alonso absent-mindedness as Abraham pips up with an equaliser in the nick of Tam. Calvert-Lewin for England, Postman Pat delivers regularly for Bielsa and Danny sharpens his scoring instinct against his old club. All on the podcast that's got more friends than David Ellery, it's the game day Premier League post-match pod from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Yes, hello. Darren Bent looking resplendent in a cream tracksuit and certainly looking buff. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. No problem. Two weeks ago after this pod, we all went out for dinner, didn't we? Uh, How times have changed. We can't do that anymore. It's too late when we finish. Shame, actually, because I wanted to see if you could finish your dinner this time around. Oh, that steak was way too big. 800 grams. 800 grams. What were you doing ordering an 800 gram steak? Because I, I knew it'd be big, but I didn't think it'd be that big. But listen, I gave it a good go. You did. You only left look two little pieces, but a hundred grams. No, it wasn't two little pieces. It was a lot. It was it. Are you sure? <laughs> it was. Uh, someone who would never ever leave the remnants of a hundred <laughs> gram steak. He's talk sport commentator Alex Crook. That was a romantic no. little night, wasn't it? It was lovely, and I've actually worked out why Darren couldn't finish his dinner. It's because it wasn't left for him inside the six-yard box. Hey! I've been getting it all day, all day, (laughs) giving it to me. Um, Very quick highlight of the weekend, Darren Bent, what's impressed you the most? I guess I'd have to say probably Everton winning again. I mean, every week I expect them to kind of falter and go, right, this is the Everton that we expect, but they keep going on and on. Rodriguez is playing well, Cavett-Lewin keeps scoring, and I've been really impressed, and I... (laughs) Honestly, I think they, they could be a dark horse for this top four. Hmm, interesting. Alex? 
uh, you've got to say Leicester uh, first team to score five goals past the Pep Guardiola side in 686 games in the dugout they were absolutely fabulous and it exposed some obvious weaknesses in that Manchester City back line which I think they probably will address by spending more money um, me it was the my highlight of the weekend was the reaction to the confusion and chaos at the end of the Brighton game from Mick McCarthy who said what are you asking me for I've never seen anything like it <laughs> right let's get to the Etihad It has ended. Manchester City 2, Leicester City 5. Well, the Premier League during the pandemic has produced plenty of strange performances and results, but few could predict this. We start to thinking we are playing bad when we are not playing bad in the first 30 minutes. So, Because we cannot expect when a team, Jamie Bardi, is 10 metres away from 18-yard box and then players behind, you cannot expect to score 10 goals in the situation that we are now. But just in that, be patient, be calm, and everything is going to be well. Well, who knows? We want to we want to keep improving. And, I mean, we qualified for, for the Europa League last year, so we'll use that, keep the momentum going, and I think it's about keeping the consistency as well because we didn't finish last season really well. So it's keeping the consistency, making sure we can do it for a full season, and we'll see where we end up at the end of the season. Only one player has scored a hat-trick twice against the Pep Guardiola team since he started managing at Barcelona 12 years ago and his name is Jamie Vardy. It's also the first time, as Crook said, in 686 games that a side managed by Guardiola has conceded five goals. City had their absentees, sure, but they were nervy, they were anxious, they were ruffled by the speed and the energy of Leicester City. Um, Look, I think last year, I've seen a few tweets about this, there was no doubt that uh, Pep Guardiola sort of outwitted Brendan Rodgers it didn't happen this time did it Darren Bent no it didn't and we're still we're seeing the same mistakes that Manchester City from last season creeping to this season I thought they'd be defensively stronger with Ake but they're still making rash decisions rash challenges and it's, it's a bit naive defending I mean you'd have to say the way Leicester played which was superb Jamie Vardy is probably everything that they hate Manchester City at the back he's quick he's sharp um, he's always on the shoulder they just roll it in behind and for me Unless they address that issue quickly, Manchester City, which is buying another centre-half, honestly think they're going to fall miles behind the rest of them again. And if, if that's the case, then I think Guardiola, as funny as it's going to be to say, will be under pressure. Uh, Pep gets plenty of plaudits, um, but when Thiago said on leaving Bayern Munich that he wasn't going to Manchester City because Pep was too intense, um, it sort of raised a few eyebrows. But is it ridiculous to suggest that he's lost the sort of power in his message, Crook? Probably too soon to say that because you do have to point to the list of absentees. Although when you've spent as much money as Manchester City have, the, the squad should be strong enough to cope with those absentees. But clearly it isn't. If you look to the bench against Leicester, it was just about the weakest Manchester City squad that we've seen for a number of years. They've got no Aguero, uh, no Jesus, who for me isn't good enough to be a frontline striker at a top club anyway. I mentioned defensively, I think Ruben Diaz is coming in from Benfica. That will be another £50 million spent. Uh, Benjamin Mendy is a problem for me. He was exposed in the second half against Wolves on Monday night and was an accident waiting to happen in that game against Leicester. So I think they've got a lot of uh, a lot of solutions that they need to find. And they can't afford to... It seems churlish because it's one defeat, but you can't afford to give Liverpool a head start as we saw last season already. Uh, they appear to be falling into that trap again. Do we put anything 
down to the departure of Mikel Arteta because there's a stat that since Arteta left the Etihad, Manchester City have lost eight games compared to Arsenal losing six games. So maybe Arteta had a bigger influence in that changing room uh, than perhaps we gave him credit for. It's all Mikel. It's all Mikel. He's the power behind the throne. I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, he may not have been there at Barcelona and Bayern Munich, but he certainly was there for a couple of seasons at the Etihad to prop Pep up. Um, <laughs> you mentioned they're going to get a new defender. I understand it's a bit more than that. 65 million quid all in. And even with Otamendi uh, going the other way in a separate deal, it looks as if it's costing probably... Uh, more than you would anticipate. Garcia wants to leave as well. Nathan Aki, you were very big on when he came into to the club, but obviously he can't plug all the holes himself. Um, do you think they need more than just Ruben Diaz? I mean, you mentioned Crook mentioned Benjamin Mendy. I mean, ultimately, this is a team that that spent so much on fullbacks that they should be well-blessed in these positions. I mean, Laporte, I mean, has anyone seen Laporte? Where, where is he? I mean, I was looking under the table earlier, see if I could see him, because he's certainly not at the Etihad. Carl Walker's become fallible as well, hasn't he? Which is a problem down the right-hand side. So they've yeah. got two full-backs at the moment who aren't defending particularly well. For me, I, I mean, first and foremost, I like Laporte. I think he's a good defender, but... He's got a play. Not, yeah, exactly. That, that's the thing. You need to get more game time with him. And I said, I like, okay, but first and foremost, Manchester City need defenders that are going to actually defend do you know what I mean? I mean, it's all well and good playing these new kind of modern day centre half that can bring the ball out and like you know, pass it forward and it all looks very pretty. But first and foremost, as a defender, your job's to keep the ball out of the net. And Manchester City, for whatever reason, since companies left, they've not managed to do that. So I think before I think maybe Pep needs to change his maybe criteria of defender. He needs defenders that are going to defend him. They might not look pretty on the eye, but I guarantee they'll start getting more results because they've got enough players in the team that can play game forward. You don't need your two centre-half doing the same thing as well. Um, look, Leicester don't usually win without uh, Wilfred and Didi, and they, and they won't have Dennis Pratt and Johnny Evans next week because of injury. But being out of the Carabao Cup will give them a free week until uh, next week when they play West Ham United on Sunday on TalkSport. Did this sort of victory and the fact that they racked up three in a row now and they are sitting on top of the Premier League table, be it after only three games, show just how good a coach that Brendan Rodgers is and how well run Leicester City are? Because this is a club that everyone says, oh, they've sold their best player, oh, they've sold their best player every single year, but actually it hasn't really made a difference to them. No, it hasn't. And you're right. I mean, the start of last season, we kind of sang their praises because they got off to a fantastic start. And I know this season kind of ended disappointingly because they fell out of the top four. But you're right. They always seem to replace quality with quality. Um, and he is a fantastic bro- coach, Brendan Rodgers. And you look at the form now and you go, right, they've got to stay in the in the top four because of, of how they've started again. But I just I just worry about them down the stretch. Do you know what I mean? Like they've, they have got good players. He's a very, very good coach. But it kind of all fell apart. The, the back end of last season and, and that's the worry and, and I know they've got Jamie Vardy sharp but eventually for me Leicester are going to have to start looking beyond Jamie Vardy because he's so integral to what they do all it takes I think is if one little injury or something to him and he, he, he hobbled off today by the way so we don't quite know how bad that is but if they were to lose Jamie Vardy I don't quite know what happens to them because he is so vital to the way they play Well, the handball law got a lot of attention. I've released a video on social media at TalkSport. Let's be clear, the law was applied correctly. There is no defence for the arm being raised above the shoulder in terms of the law. Clearly, the Eric Dyer one that gives a point to Newcastle very late in the day is nonsense. But it's not this year's law, it's last year's law. The biggest issues for me are Doherty, Lindelof, Ward, to be fair. Even Steve Bruce, who benefited from this decision, said, look, we've lost the plot on handball. 
but it ain't changing. You know, FIFA have taken over the uh, implementation of the IFAB protocol in terms of VAR, implementing the rules. So therefore, this is going to be standard now going forward. You're not going to get a change until at least next summer. So, so what should you do, Darren Bent, if you are a forward stroke? What should you do if you're a defender? Because if you're a forward, I think now you're starting to think, keep that ball in the air. Yeah, you are. Um, and with the handball, I mean, it's it's a, it's shocking. I, I hate that the rule, um, but unfortunately, the rule's the rule. Now, as an attacker, I think you're going to start seeing more and more attacking players, maybe one v one situations, start clipping the ball towards defenders' hands, which I, I believe could be a, an issue. And now you're going to start seeing the kind of continental defending from defenders, where they they kind of when they face a defender up or attacker up, sorry, they start defending with their arms behind their back. I think in this in this situation. I don't think they've got any other choice now because they're going to have to kind of front it up, put their arms behind their back because when they try and make themselves bigger and more of a target so the ball doesn't go past them, ultimately their arms are going to be away from their body. So if the ball continues to keep hitting their hand, they're going to give defenders... Well, you, what you're basically doing is asking them to now change the art of defending. Yeah. That's what you're going to have to It's changed now. the game. I, 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 what I can't Maybe. understand is who just sat there and thought, well, you know what we'll do? Uh, we'll change the entire nature of defending in football. What a great idea that is. I mean, David Ellery is responsible for this and I will continue to call him out until he comes out and explains why he thought it was a good idea. Well, I suppose he would say that football is about entertainment and, and this provides entertainment in terms of talking points, controversy. But no one and wants it. There's more, not one person who's sitting gold. there going, I want, I, want, I want that law. No, I agree. And I think the fact that all the managers have almost come out in unison, even Steve Bruce, who obviously benefited from that, crazy decision when Dyer was actually facing the wrong way and had no idea the ball was going to strike him on the arm for him to come out and say it was complete nonsense having just snatched a point probably says all you need to know but I think we should focus a bit on Spurs as well because they spurned so many opportunities mm. in that game against Newcastle that ultimately the game should have been put to bed long before stoppage time at the end of the second half they should have been over the hills and far away and perhaps that profligacy will be a concern for Jose Mourinho how much of uh, a benefit was it to have Carl Darlow trying to perform miracles in the uh, Newcastle goal because he's obviously trying to ensure that he keeps his place when Dubravka comes back he's played brilliantly he has been absolutely superb and I think that was the one concern when Dubravka went down is how, how they're going to replace him but today he made some great great saves and and he, and he kind of kept he kept his team in it as you said right to the very end before they got that crazy decision but um, New, Newcastle have kind of surprised me a little bit because after the first game of the season with the signings I was really excited and thought yeah like I, I think they're going to begin they're going to have a very very good season but I've kind of faltered a little bit but laborious reactive yeah. okay do you want to keep going <laughs> I, I nominated them to be relegated at the beginning of the season in the preview even yeah with the, even with the signings even with the signings yeah Steve oh, Bruce doesn't get relegated he doesn't never say never it's 2020 anything can happen uh, do you like Kane in this deeper role he's turned into Mr Assist um, I, I don't particularly like it I know he's, he's good enough to do it but I, I don't particularly like it because I like Harry Kane getting on the, on the end of things um, scoring goals I mean listen he's still going to score goals at the rate that he, he normally would but I think if you're asking him to play a little bit deeper um, you're taking away a little bit from his game and when you start adding when Bale comes in He's going to drop even deeper because you're going to you have to leave space for Bale and Son getting in behind. So, I think 
that in the long run, I don't think that's going to help Spurs at all. I'm just delighted that uh, you still get points for assists that are almost as many uh, as goals in fantasy football uh, when it comes to forwards because I've got Harry Kane in every team I've got. Uh, you were about to say, Alex Crook, that there's a problem with Son. Yeah, he's pulled a hamstring and he's going to be out for a little while. And Spurs have got three tough games upcoming. Chelsea at home, Maccabi, Haifa, and then off to Manchester United. It's going to be difficult to prioritise. Yeah, because he's so important with his energy and his endeavour and his work rate and the, and the combination play between him and Harry Kane. Obviously, Gareth Bale smiling, watching on from the stands is, is still not fit. So I think that's a problem uh, for Jose Mourinho. They haven't really got any other player, Darren, with the same attributes that Son brings to the team. He doesn't know. And, and uh, do you know what? I do like Son. Um, don't get me wrong. At times, I do think he's a little bit greedy and he plays for himself a little bit. But listen, he looks like a, a great guy to have in the change rooms. But what I like about Son is that when Harry Kane has had injuries and he has had a lot of them, he's always stepped up to the mark. And it kind of felt like even the, the whole Bell talk, everyone was like, right, Spurs are going to be in the top four now, definitely, because Bell's coming to the building. And it's like Son went, well, hold on a second here. I'm still here. I've been playing well for a number of years. And again, with the with the the four goals he scored against Southampton last weekend, he's a very good player. So I do think when Bell comes in, I think it will complement. I think they'll all complement each other well. But I think um, it wouldn't surprise if Son, if they don't if they don't get into the top four, win start winning stuff. I think Son might think, you know what, it's time for me to to move on. Interesting. Um, one man who might be moving on, and I'll let you both have your say on this, is Deli Ali. He wasn't in the squad again today. Is there any sympathy for for Deli Ali here? Is he Mourinho's latest victim, following on from Pogba, Casillas, Ramos at previous clubs, where he seems to hone in on one player as sort of a, someone he can't have in and around the squad anymore, who's not pulling their weight in his opinion? We've seen his comments towards Deli Ali on the documentary, but clearly there seems to be an issue. What happens next? Well, <laughs> we're both looking at each other here. I don't think it's a Mourinho problem. And I said this on Darren Bent's boot room on Sunday. I think it's a, a Deli Alley problem because the rot had set in before Jose Mourinho took charge. His form had already started to tail off in the final months of Maurizio Pochettino's reign. And in fact, you could say uh, that his alarming dip in form was a factor in Pochettino losing his job. So I think Deli Alley needs to take a look look at himself is he conducting himself in the right manner off the pitch is he distracted by one or two non-football activities he needs to work out what's gone wrong it could just be that he's played too much football he broke into the MK Dons team when he was 17 he's played pretty much consistently since then at summer tournaments for his country as well so maybe he's one of those players who has just burnt himself out at a young age I hope not if you speak to his representatives, they will say that sometimes he's portrayed badly in the media when he's not behaving the way it has been suggested. But other people will tell you that he hasn't always lived his life right off the pitch. My issue is, is I go back to 2018 and Volgograd against Tunisia. This guy was running the show 15 minutes into the game. He was England's best player, outlying player. He was speeding behind the high line that Tunisia were playing and he was in behind two or three times in the early stages. England got in front in that game. He pinged his thigh during that match and he didn't come off. He stayed on the pitch and he played. He didn't play the next game, but he played the game after for England. And as far as I understand it, he carried that injury for 18 months now, I think that's damaged him in a long-term way. I don't think it's been helped by the other situations that we've all 
been made aware of and, and that he's been accused of by Jose Mourinho, hinted at by Jose Mourinho during that documentary. But ultimately, he may well have done himself some damage, then played on to try and help the cause and ultimately be the victim of his own eagerness to actually be a part of that Spurs team. Yeah, I mean, I remember that when he had the, he had the injury, and you you're right. Maybe maybe in the long run, it has kind of hindered him as well. But I think when you when you you add uh, injury uh, to confidence, listen, that that is one that that's something that is extremely difficult to kind of get over. And when you've got a manager as well, that's it's, it's different. If you lose confidence, you've got an injury, but you've also got a manager that's willing to back you and kind of any kind of conversations like that keep it private then I think you can kind of deal with it. When you've got a manager that comes out in the public and kind of criticises you, then you add the confidence into it and the injury, you kind of fight a losing battle. So for me, I would like to see a Deli Alley. I mean, yeah, everyone would always had a cliche, yeah, stay and fight for your place. But I think that's gone now. I think for me, Deli Alley needs to go somewhere else, start playing football and trying to get back to his absolute best because he's been linked to go to here, there and everywhere. And it's quite clear Deli Ali's too good a player just to be playing in Carabao Cup games. That, that that for him cannot be good enough. And if they go out the Carabao Cup on Tuesday to to Chelsea, then when does he start playing regular games? So I think Mourinho would like to get somebody else in, and I'm, I think Deli Ali would like to leave. So I think they need to resolve this situation sooner rather than later. They won't because, <laughs> because you can't get a deal like this done in the last eight days of the transfer window. That we know there's some loose interest from Paris Saint-Germain, maybe from Monaco as well, where Paul Mitchell, uh, once of Tottenham, is now their sporting director. Daniel Levy wants top dollar. I would be staggered if Deli Ali isn't still a Tottenham player come October the 6th. Good luck, Jose. Well done, Leicester, by the way. We should say that again. Now Panera in towards Dian Gardner on the edge of the penalty area. Low shot from him, and it's an outstanding goal. Robinson with a shot which went low into the back of the net, and West Bromwich Albion have the perfect start, and it's West Bromwich Albion who lead by a goal to nil. It's been given away now by Thiago Silva. It's Robinson again going through on goal, and he drives it low beyond Caballero, and West Bromwich Albion lead by two goals to nil, and it's a defensive nightmare on his debut for Thiago Silva. That is an absolute shocker from Thiago Silva. It's an outswinger, driven right towards the edge of the penalty area. Furlong heads it in, and it's 3-0. Carl Barkley has delivered the third goal. An outstanding set-piece from West Bromwich Albion. But Chelsea were statuesque. Chelsea are being torn apart at the Hawthorns. West Bromwich Albion lead by three goals to nil, and Chelsea's defending has been an outrage. Here is Mount now with the right-footed shot. Oh, it's gone in! Mason Mount lets fly from 25 yards, and Chelsea are back in the game. West Brom three, Chelsea one. Now Hudson-Odoi into the area for Havertz, back towards Hudson-Odoi again, and that's an excellent Chelsea goal, dispatched by Callum Hudson-Odoi, and now it's really game on, and their first half defensive capitulation now seems some time ago. Now Hudson-Odoi stands it up towards the far post again, and it's Robson Karno with the clearance, and it's fired low through the crowd, and Tammy Abraham will turn in the equaliser, and Chelsea have come from three goals down to maybe snatch a point in the 93rd minute. West Brom look absolutely distraught. (laughs) 
West Bromwich Albion 3, Chelsea 3. Chelsea have failed to keep a clean sheet in 20 of their 21 Premier League away games since Frank Lampard took over as manager. But if Chelsea thought that switching Kepa for Caballero and bringing in an experienced captain of Brazil was going to be the turning point, I'm afraid Frank will be sorely disappointed. Uh, but Alex, does Lampard actually have to shoulder a bit of the burden here for picking Marcus Alonso next to Thiago Silva on his Premier League debut in the first place? Because, I mean, we're all pretty clear that Marcus Alonso's best position is not left back in the back four. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because I remember uh, texting you, Sam, before the game saying, what are you predicting for this one? And you confidently came back and said Chelsea to win to nil. I was taking the mick and I was just trying to get rid of you. Mm. <laughs> five minutes before the game and I was walking down the South Bank desperately trying to find a pub to watch the match in and you sent me a text I went out oh, Chelsea to win to nil and then move on you know yeah. that's called that's called the cold shoulder in the Tinder world ask Lucy <laughs> <laughs> they did move on from the clean sheet pretty quickly didn't they yeah they did um, Chelsea got dug out by the uh, academy boys sometimes bringing the big names brings the best out of you uh, if you're uh, in those ranks especially in the second half Hudson Adoy Mount in particular I thought ran the joint in the second half of the game and Abraham who ended up popping up with the goal but he missed a big chance in that first half is it credit to him Darren that despite missing that chance early on he managed to score the goal which ultimately earned the point yeah it's massive because you're right he missed a big chance in the first half um, but what I like about the goal that he did get is too many times we've not seen Abraham in them type of areas do you know what I mean we've seen balls flash across the six yard box and he's nowhere to be seen he's usually hanging out on the on the penalty spot but I'd like to think Frank's kind of got hold of him and said listen this is where you're going to score the main crux of your goals in and around that six yard box and he reacted quickly to the, the, the goalkeeper saving it and he tapped it in the empty net and I thought he actually did okay um, yesterday Tammy I think he's still got a, a way to go and, and it's fair play to himself as well that he's stuck in there with competition like Giroud and Timo Werner do you know what I mean he, and he, he's managed to get a goal out of it so hopefully if he, can, if he can stand the team I think he will keep improving but he's got some stiff competition there uh, Slavon Bilic will be scratching his head as to how he lets that three gold uh, lead slip it's difficult isn't it because you want to praise them for the way they played in that first 45 minutes but actually on reflection when you look at the game as a whole they got in front because Chelsea made silly mistakes and they couldn't hold on to the lead that's a bit of a concern yeah it was poor game management in the second half because Billich must have expected that Chelsea would would come at them and um, sadly for West Bromwich Albion that they couldn't find a way to hold on they've also conceded 12 goals now in their first three games back in the Premier League and Ouch. If, they, if they keep letting them in at that rate they've got no chance of surviving because I know they've scored three goals against Chelsea but I don't think there are enough goals in that team to suffer that kind of conceding burden and go on and pick up points on a regular enough basis to stay up do you know what? I don't. I don't mind going forward. West Brom. I think they're they're, they're a very good side. Dean Garner, Pereira, Callum Robinson getting the goals. But even defensively, I just don't trust them, unfortunately. And I like Romain Soares and I like Livermore sitting in front of the back four. But again, I'm not quite sure how mobile they are at protecting that back four. So even when they were throwing up yesterday, I still didn't think totally convinced that, yeah, they can hang on to this. Mm. I always thought if Chelsea got that one, that it could, listen, it could be two, three, four, and obviously they stopped at three, but I was never quite convinced even when they were three nil up. Yeah, they didn't get a uh, extra time penalty after the game had finished, did they? Unlike somebody else. Um, West Brom's Callum Robinson um, has only ever scored three goals in the Premier League. They're all of them against Chelsea. Um, did you have a team like that where you woke up in the morning and go, oh, yes, I'm playing this team today? Was it Bolton for you? It was Bolton, yeah. I think it was like 13 goals against Bolton. What, in like four <laughs> games or something? Honestly, it was just, it's, it's weird how it works out. I mean, um, it doesn't even matter if you're going through a lean spell. Whenever Bolton used to come up, 
I would just score against them. And it's just strange. You look at Rooney and Arsenal, <laughs> Vardy and Vardy with Manchester City and yeah. Vardy with Arsenal. You just get these teams where it just feels right. Everything that you do just seems to benefit yourself over them and they can't seem to deal with it. And mine was always Bolton, always. Uh, uh, right now, there will be a few strikers that will have Chelsea's defence in their sights. Uh, Wilfred Zaha, <laughs> for example, will be excited about next week's meeting on TalkSport next Saturday lunchtime. Um, West Ham beat Wolverhampton Wanderers. I have had so many messages of people saying to me, are you sure I was watching West Ham earlier today? Uh, they beat uh, Wolves 4-0. I mean, they went ahead early through uh, Jared Bowen, who I really, really like. Raul Jimenez scored an own goal. I mean, what on earth happened in this match? Well, in, in fairness, West Ham picked up where they left off against Arsenal, but this time they were ruthless enough to take their chances. They played very well at Emirates Stadium and, and deserved something from that game. I think they gave them the confidence to go toe-to-toe with this Wolverhampton Wanderers side. And Wolves were a bit flat as well. Uh, maybe having played a couple of days later and had a really testing first half against Manchester City, perhaps physically, that took its toll. Um, but, I mean, there were some surprise scorelines over the course of the weekend, but this one was right up there because I don't think we expected West Ham to put four goals past anybody, there's, let alone Wolverhampton Wanderers. There's a great meme that's doing the round. It's Stuart Pearce sitting on a phone inside yeah, the it. stadium. <laughs> going, yeah, hello, boss. Yeah, four. Yeah, no, I haven't got a clue how it happened either. No. <laughs> Um, so West Ham winners by four goals today. I can't remember the last time that West Ham scored four goals in a football match let alone I can't remember the last time West Ham scored four goals to be fair <laughs> Dream Team time and the Game Day podcasters are in a special mini league this year let's talk to Andrew Butler who runs the whole joint hello sir how are you? Hello, Sam. Very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Let's get to the mini-league. Uh, Kane, Kai Havertz, Bruno Fernandes. Good points for me this week. Uh, Ake, Bolly, Diangana, not so much. Uh, still got three big ones to play, though. Can we have a review of where I am? Yeah, of course. Yeah, like you say, good midweek. Less yes. so this weekend. Bruno Fernandes has sort of bailed you out um, a little bit so far. But but like you say, Liverpool, Arsenal still to play. So it's a, it's a big one's coming up. Um, you've moved up. That's the good thing. You've moved up in the mini league uh, to 2,286, up from 2,769th last right. week with 124 points. Um, so a decent week-on-week increase uh, for you. Am I higher um, than Lucy? That's really all I need to know. Well, look, I mean, producer Lucy... Uh, has already messaged me today saying, um, you know, maybe maybe mention my thing, maybe don't mention it. She's gone down yeah. from 2,333rd last week to 4,921st. So, <laughs> that's some drop, Lucy. That's almost as bad as your fall uh, when you were running no. the other day. No, no, no. <laughs> Tell him why. Well, you haven't got a very good team. It's no, pretty no, obvious. No. I keep forgetting to change my team and haven't changed it since week one. Bad and I had Aguero and Deli Alley in it. Oh, that was a bad mistake. Okay, they oh, won't score you any points. But the problem with Dream Team is that negative points also count. And uh, Carl Walker's got minus four. Marcus Alonso got <laughs> minus three this weekend. <laughs> okay, has anyone sprung from obscurity and found their way into uh, a load of people's teams this year? Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, who's also the overall po- top point scorer with 44 points. He's actually only in 4.8% of teams, but he was in obviously far, far fewer before the start of the season. I, I believe it was less than 1% of teams. He's only in the game at 3.3 million as well. He is 
obviously having a phenomenal uh, season. He's also the top point scorer too. Um, another one who's sprung from obscurity due to probably the EFL Cup exploits is Sebastian Allaire. Allaire. Obviously scored against Wolves uh, as well on su- uh, Sunday evening too. I'm not entirely sure he's a player that you can um, completely rely on, but he's actually the third top point scorer overall so far this season uh, in Dream Team 2. So um, he's got 41 points joint with Jamie Vardy. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Fulham against Aston Villa is a 5.45 game on Monday afternoon UK time. Scott Parker reckons that uh, Mitrovic can score regularly in the Premier League after getting goals in the Leeds game last week. Yeah, This is his fourth spell in the Premier League. Do you think, Darren Bent, that he can score goals regularly in this division? I mean, he's sort of proved that he can do it before, but I always wonder two things that worry me about Mitrovic is him keeping fit and staying on the pitch. Yeah, I think he can score goals quite regular. I do believe that he's good in the air. Um, he always seems to be there or thereabouts where the ball lands in the penalty box. I think for Mitrovic though, he, he's someone and he's uh, quite he's quite similar to me. He relies on service. You you need to get service to him. Like I don't think he's one of them strikers that can generate his own kind of chances by dribbling past people, all that fancy footwork. You need to be getting crosses in the box, um, people slipping him down the sides of a, a defender. So I think he can do. It's just whether Fulham have got the players that can supply him with enough chances to give him obviously give himself and them a chance in games because we've seen him get a couple um, I think he got a couple against Leeds uh, one, I mean one of the headers was superb but that's my only concern is that I think he can score goals regularly it's just whether Fulham can create enough for him to score regularly Is that why you didn't finish that 800 gram steak because nobody cut it up and put it in your mouth for you? Um, no I think there's a slight difference in, in, in quality between myself and Mitrovic but uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, it was. Um, I, I do bet like. He can eat an 800 gram steak, though. Oh, he looks he'd, like he'd a destroy, guy. He'd, he'd he destroy would. it. He would. Every day. He would. Every day. <laughs> he's, not, he's, he's, not, he's not leaving nothing. Um, okay. Villa signed uh, Bertrand Traore, who scored a terrific goal in midweek in the Carabao Cup. They've got Ollie Watkins in their side. Uh, there's a lot more goals, it looks, than before, Alex Crook. Yeah, and obviously they've tightened up at the other end. I think Martinez is a fantastic signing and hit the ground running with that penalty save. They were tighter defensively post-lockdown anyway. I think they've done some good business, um, Aston Villa, so credit to Dean Smith for that. And if uh, this weekend has taught us anything, it's that home wins are hard to come by in the Premier League. Any West Ham United bucking that trend, so it's all set up for a Villa victory on the road. Yeah, and in which case, um, Arsenal will be buoyed going to Liverpool on Monday night at 7.45. I mean, all eyes will be on this fixture. The only league game that Klopp has lost against Arsenal since joining was the one that they won uh, after Liverpool won the title in July. Can Arteta turn that tide and pull out back-to-back wins? After all, we know he was the power behind the throne uh, at Manchester City <laughs> and, and now without him, they've collapsed, Darren Bent. Yeah, I think um, I think he can do. What, one thing I would say about Arsenal going into this game is that we know Arteta will set them up correctly. Do you know what I mean? Then, then it comes down to quality, which obviously we know Liverpool have got a lot of. Um, but I, I'd worried before Arteta got there is the state of Arsenal's team going into a game like that. We'd be carved open, we'd be playing the wrong players um, and ultimately we'd end up getting destroyed. But I think with Arteta, he will study what Liverpool do really well. He'll come up with a game plan and it seems to be working. So I think a lot of Arsenal fans will have a little bit more optimism because they know that Arteta's got a, a game plan to go and beat Liverpool rather than just kind of putting things together and hoping something works. We, we, we. I'm not sure. That, that doesn't feel right when you say we and Arsenal. That. 
Don't right. know. I just don't oh, know. Tottenham. Here we go. Sunderland. Fulham. Ipswich, Aston Villa. Charlton. England. I don't remember seeing Arsenal on your CV. Oh, I wish it was on the CV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they were good then. Um, <laughs> only joking. Um, Thiago is as good as Zico, according to Graham Souness. Um, Crook, does he give Liverpool an added dimension, providing those killer passes that open up tight defences? And Arsenal certainly were one of those towards the end of last season. Yeah, and he gives them a bit of assurance as well after that chaotic first game that they played against Leeds United. Again, I think there'll be less cavalier here. It'll be more of a uh, the performance that we saw at Stamford Bridge, try and soak up any Arsenal pressure and then use those defence-splitting passes from Thiago and the pace of the likes of Mane and, and Salah to hit Arsenal on the counter. I think this is a fascinating game when you look at the record that Mikel Arteta has got against the big clubs, not least um, Liverpool, as you mentioned, that game towards the back end of last season beaten Manchester City, beaten Chelsea, beaten Manchester United. He's tactically very astute. He will have been working on a master plan uh, to go to Anfield and get something from this game. Having said that, Liverpool will win. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Liverpool may well end up winning and Manchester City have given them fantastic encouragement to do so, haven't they, Darren, after what we saw on Sunday night? Yeah, I mean, I, I was one of them saying that I think Manchester City were the favourites again this season which maybe was a little no, bit it's disappointing it's only three games it's only three games in let's not get too I know, excited but listen, it's not get, over get, yet get, getting beat five it, it doesn't bode well <laughs> getting beat five at home do you know what I mean and getting no. absolutely dismantled isn't no. good and you look at Liverpool other than maybe the performance against Leeds where people thought mm, maybe they're going to come like a bit ropey they've been absolutely superb I remember so. a couple of weeks ago when I was saying I'm a bit worried about Liverpool because they haven't really added anybody oh here's Thiago oh here's Diego Jota yeah exactly and I, oh, okay. I, was, I was the same time <laughs> they've not strengthened um, the team looks a little bit tired but listen Mane's playing superbly well uh, Thiago as you said Jota can come in I mean, Salah, Salah scores a hat-trick opening day of the season. Um, I think Liverpool are getting the thing to beat. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the new Vauxhall Combo Electric. The Combo Electric is Vauxhall's new compact van that is made right here in Britain at their Ellesmere Port plant. Not only does the new van look fantastic and with a striking redesign, but by manufacturing the Combo Electric locally, Vauxhall is helping to support the British workforce. Local manufacturing also reduces the cost of going electric, making the transition accessible for more businesses. With an electric range of up to 205 miles on a single charge and one year's free public charging included, the new Combo Electric is ready to take on whatever you throw at it. Head online today and see for yourself. Search Vauxhall Electric Vans and prepare to lead the charge. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Dante out wide on the right. He goes in past Fernandez. Was he brought down by Bruno Fernandez? He was. Penalty kick. Here's Mope to step 
towards the ball, right-footed. He clips the ball, a little Penenka over the top of David De Gea, stranded to his left to put Brighton in front. It's right-footed towards the far corner. It's touched in towards Matic, back into Maguire, who tucks home and an equaliser very quickly for Manchester United. They've come back from behind here to level things up and Brighton have let another lead slip. It's 1-1. Rashford behind White into the penalty area, gets it onto the right foot, coming infield, making space for the shot, leaves White on his backside and lashes the ball into the net. A brilliant goal from Marcus Rashford. Brighton and Hove Albion 1, Manchester United 2. Cross comes into the centre, header, and he's down and in by Sonny March and there is the equaliser. And Brighton have come from behind to nick a point that they certainly deserve. It's cleared off the line by March and that's the last action of the game and he's the hero twice in two minutes there could well be a handball that's what they're arguing inside the area away to our right hand side and the game should not have been finished before a handball had been given he's given the penalty he's given the penalty this has never been seen before in the Premier League the last kick of the football down at the Amex this afternoon will be by Bruno Fernandes from the penalty spot for Manchester United. He runs up right-footed, rifles it into the top corner, earns all three points for Manchester United. This has never been seen before in the Premier League. That's a first for me, that's for sure. It's a new experience after thinking we scored in the, with the last kick of the game. If the referees deem there's more time, there's more time, I guess. But um, yeah, I thought we could score with the last kick. So we're obviously very, very disappointed to say it's an understatement. But I didn't see the, the handball, so the referee probably didn't see it either. But then... It's clearly a handball, so it's the right decision to give a penalty. I don't know uh, any other way it could have ended. We just need games. We need to get fitter and better because we're not uh, sharp enough yet. First things first, I didn't realise that Lewis Duncan actually scored an own goal in this game until Andy Cole told me today. I thought it was Harry Maguire for a very long time after the melee and we were at such <laughs> a low angle. Um, secondly, I've, I've never seen a goal ever scored after the full-time whistle before. However, it is within the law. Um, did it sit OK with you, Darren Bent? Yeah, of course it did, because the, the offence took place before the final whistle. So when there was all this kind of uproar, where the game's finished, the game's finished, it didn't once cross my mind to be, well, no, it didn't cross my mind to say, well, maybe the goal shouldn't have stood because the offence quite clearly took place before um, the final whistle. But f for me, when I was watching it, I didn't even see the initial handball. I, I wonder what they was moaning about because it got cleared off the line. And I was thinking, well, did he punch it off the line or something? I couldn't quite work out until I saw the replay. For me, this is VAR at its best. This is what VAR was brought <laughs> in to do. Of course it is. <laughs> um, clear up, uh, clear and obvious errors. It, it was a blatant handball. It wasn't an Eric Dyer type handball. Yes, the referee blew the full-time whistle, but the incident had clearly taken place before the whistle was blown. Therefore, it was a correct decision to give the penalty. Yeah. Doesn't really let Manchester United off the hook. I still think it's a performance <laughs> that leaves more questions than answers. And, and to compare Fergie time to Solskjaer time is just laughable, quite frankly, because again, I thought it was uh, tactically quite a poor performance, allowing Brighton to dominate possession. They hit the woodwork five times. First time that's happened in a game since Opta started keeping such records. And... I don't think there'll be too many Manchester United fans crowing over that 100th minute victory yeah. at the Amex Stadium. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer admitted as much and Leandro Trossard, the first player to hit the woodwork three times in the game since Cristiano Ronaldo against Newcastle in 2006. How long can he keep saying that we need games to get fit? 
Well, listen, it's a concern, but I kind of understand that he's saying that they need more game time, but then I guess everyone's in the same boat. Everyone, Everyone's not played as much as well, them. Well, that's not entirely true, is it? Because one of the complaints that the bigger clubs that have a lot of internationals who have gone away suggest is that they only had, especially ones that played in Europe, that they only had 34-day break between seasons. During the two weeks in the lead-up to that, there was an international break in which a lot of their players went away. So a lot of their plans were disrupted. Maybe, actually, you needed a tighter rein on the players that ended up going away and therefore having to quarantine and not ready and up to speed by the time the season started. Yeah, I mean, listen, potentially... Listen, going forward, Manchester United are fantastic, but at the back... Are they really? I, I listen, going forward, I think they look dangerous with, with Rashford and Mar- I mean, Martial's not quite hit the ground running yet. They Green scored 33 the goals less than Manchester City last year. Yeah, but st- you, so you can't tell me that front three is not good. They didn't but have I a forward that, on the bench on Saturday. Yeah, that, that's a what concern. But I think going forward, Fernandez and these guys, I think they'll be okay. But defensively, they're not giving themselves the opportunity because they're making silly mistakes. And Harry Maguire, I know people spoke about him. I don't think he's really been superb I wouldn't say he's been the 80, man, the 80 million pound defender that people expected Lindelof's been poor Wambasaka at times defensively we know how good he is but going forward he's not been great and the left back still situ- it's still a problem like Luke Shaw not fit enough Brandon Williams is a young uh, is a young player so for me I think I don't think their problems are offensively I think it's defensively uh, tactically switched it up problems in behind Greenwood he changed it lost control in midfield Van der Beek came on he reacted every time Brighton changed the game and obviously they were chasing it so they were they were forcing the issue because it was 2-1 at the time surely some of the blame has to lie with the players Paul Pogba didn't look like he had his motor started during that match and he wasn't the only one no I was going to mention him Um, (laughs) it's a problem isn't it because You can count the number of good games that Paul Pogba has had since he joined Manchester United on one hand. And every time you you think a corner has been turned and he he gets himself fit and he he has an influence on proceedings, you think, right, here's the Paul Pogba that has been so dominant for France and and for Juventus. And he never manages to string a run of games together. Clearly, it's a motivational problem for whatever reason Solskjaer isn't getting the best out of him. But you're right, Pogba has to take a share of the responsibility as well. At the moment, there's a player for me who is just going through the motions. I think actually they signed Van der Beek. Just take him out the side, make him fight for his place. He, sh- he, he, he hasn't shown anything to be the first name on the team sheet as he appears to be at the moment. Uh, Brighton, Tottenham, Newcastle, Chelsea and Arsenal next. Good luck, Ollie. Uh, Sheffield United lost to Leeds on Sunday lunchtime. Patrick Bamford's 27 now, but his advanced years have helped him become cooler in front of goal. That's three and three, Darren Bent. What's happened? He doesn't really talk. He talks about Bielsa obviously giving him the confidence, really believing him, believing in him. But we we just wonder if he's one of them players that is better suited to play in the Premier League than the Championship. Mm. I mean, he's got th- he's got three and three. He's playing really well. But not only it's not only just his goals. His work rate's been tremendous. He's had assists. He's called defenders problems, and he was a match winner, as you said there against Sheffield United with a fantastic header. So, listen, the start that he's made will set him up really well for the season because I know what it's like if you can score a goal in the first couple of games, it gives you that confidence. Well, he's got three in his first three games. And he's He's been superb. So I think that's a really big asset. And I think right now, Bielsa's thinking, well, that's good. I've signed uh, Rodrigo. He's not really started to play particularly well yet. But Bielsa will be thinking, well, that's one position on the pitch. Well, at the minute, I don't really have to worry about. Has anybody come in this summer and hit the ground absolutely 100% running? I mean, even like, you know, Havertz, Werner, both come into Chelsea. 
Tammy Abraham scored more goals than Timo Werner. In fact, in the league, he scored more goals than anybody else that Chelsea have got right now. Um, Bamford has had Rodrigo as a record signing come in from behind him and thinking, oh, he's going to pinch my place. Actually, it's all it's done is increase the, the output that Patrick Bamford has, has, has managed to put in uh, for uh, Leeds United. I think they'll miss uh, Jack Harrison's delivery next week in the game of Manchester City because he's come up with a couple of great assists and a goal at Liverpool as well. And he's a really intelligent player. I like him he was superb um but you mentioned Rodrigo what, what was interesting there when he came on in the second half him and Bamford actually formed quite a good partnership and Rodrigo did play a part in the goal because he held it up on the edge of the penalty area uh, played it out to the left hand side Harrison with a cross and the header from Bamford and I think that's what Rodrigo is there for I don't think he's a prolific goal scorer he's a one in four man now, we mentioned that at the beginning of the season didn't we we said he's not going to score loads of goals Bielsa likes his presence and bringing other people into play you can say the same about Bamford um, that we were talking about earlier in, in the podcast, that he's not afraid to miss chances. Yeah. He missed two good headers in the first half. He still came back and buried the third. Do you know what? That's key though, Cookie, because last season he was getting crucified for missing chances, weren't they? They were saying if Leeds don't get promoted, it's going to be Bamford's fault. If Leeds want to get promoted to the Premier League, they need to go and find a better play, a better centre forward. He did have the worst conversion chance of big chances of anybody in the yeah, top that, of, that, the, that, of the list in terms of strikers. It's 12.8%. That doesn't mean anything because even if he's missing big chances, he's still scoring goals. Like he was their top goal scorer with, I think, 16. And the second top goal scorer was 12 own goals. Do you know what I mean? So he, he much, which, which is, is that I mean, true? That's true. Well, yeah, 12 own goals with the second top goal scorer. So f- for me, uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. But I, I hope, obviously, now people have said, well, you know what? Um, he's a Premier League centre forward and, and I hope he scores many more goals. His own goals, English, just in case we need to call him up for the Euros. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's crack on. This has never been seen before in the Premier League. He runs up right footed, rifles it into the top corner, earns all three points for Manchester United in the most controversial of circumstances. Yeah, it's a first for me, that's for sure. It's a new experience after thinking we scored in the, with the last kick of the game. It's three league wins from three to start the season for Everton. They've won their opening three league matches for the first time since 1993-1994 and they go top of the Premier League. The fact is that people who love football, what's happening at the moment is killing the game. And Chelsea have come from three goals down to maybe snatch a point in the 93rd minute. And it's that man, Danny! Side foot in from six yards out. Bamford with a downward header. And Patrick Bamford has done it. Tottenham won. Newcastle United won. And they have robbed a point here at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Hardy right footed. Goes low. Goes to the keeper's left. And he's got it again. That's the fourth penalty of the season already for Jamie Vardy. All converted. And he has a hatchet. No Pep Guardiola side has ever conceded five goals before and he's been a manager for 686 games. So not a good day for Manchester City. Full time at the Etihad. Manchester City 2, Leicester City 5. West Ham 4, Wolves 0. And West Ham just making sure they have the icing on top of the cake thanks to Sebastian Haller. Crystal Palace 1, Everton 2 and Burnley 0, Southampton 1. The last two games we need to look at on the game day post-match pod. 
uh, with Darren Bent and Alex Crook. Uh, the injustice with the handball aside for Crystal Palace, it was impressive for Everton that they've managed to win as many games as they have. Three in a row now, two one winners away uh, from home. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin scoring again. That's five goals in three games. He talked in the aftermath of uh, the game against West Bromwich Albion about one-touch finishing, uh, Darren Ben. Do you think he'll be called up for England this week? Yeah, he's got to be, 100%. I mean, the, the three that I'm thinking is going to be Kane, Calvert-Lewin and Ings. Dan Ings. They're the three, yeah, I think. But he does, he thoroughly deserves He's been superb. He's come back, as I said, he looks sharper, he looks stronger, he looks hungry for goals. Um, and you could tell that Ancelotti's had a real effect on him because... His, his movement's always been good, but he, he just, to me, looks a little bit more calm and, and calculated in front of the goal. And I think it, with the, with the what, what I also like about Ancelotti, he's put pieces around him that's helped him going to fur- flourish. Is that you say the word? Fur- flourish, we say, but flourish. you say how you like. <laughs> flourish. I don't know so why that, you need to use your hand like that. You can only so say it if you use your hand. <laughs> Throw your hand out. Flourish. Like Rodriguez, I think it's going to help him. Alan, Decore, all these pieces, Richarlson, all these pieces around him are helping him score goals. And I really like the situation that he's in. And I'll be I'll be stunned if he's not in the England squad. Because it'll be a bigger England squad, won't it? Because they've got three games in six days. He's got to be in it though, because other than, you'd have to say, he probably is England's most informed striker. Well, he is. Five goals in three games. Nobody else has got that sort of return so far. Hammer's sparkling again in that game. I suppose you have to point to the recruitment that Everton have done Alex Crook and say it's been pretty shrewd yeah it's only taken three years for them to get the recruitment <laughs> right no, um, it's only taken Carlo Ancelotti <laughs> yeah absolutely they've got an elite level manager um, I'd like him at my club I have to say and I think what will please um, <laughs> Everton fans and, and the owners who have always backed their managers is that two of their three wins have come away from home because yeah. their record away from Goodison Park has been their Achilles heel in the past couple of seasons they seem to have a new steel a new determination Alan and Decore have certainly helped with that I think James Rodriguez has probably surprised everybody with how quickly he's adapted to the Premier League given that he hasn't had the best couple of years um, over in uh, Spain and in, in Germany so I'm really impressed with Everton and, I, and I, I tend to agree with Darren with Ancelotti if they can keep players fit and they haven't really got a backup option to Calvin-Lewin in terms of an out and out centre forward they could well be the surprise package of the season uh, Palace had 42% of the ball in that game. Wow. Whoa. That's a record for Roy Hodgson, isn't it? That's amazing, isn't it, for them? I mean, they still lost the possession stats and they lost the game, <laughs> but 42%. I mean, that's like a major increase on the previous two weeks. So, you know, well done, Crystal Palace. Uh, Burnley against Southampton wasn't the most entertaining. Danny Ings in the right place at the right time again. He's scored 35 of the 53 Premier League goals that Southampton have managed since he signed. Nobody else has managed five, not even own goals. That's pretty impressive, right? It's very impressive, but it's also a little bit concerning that he's maybe too, maybe it's they're too don't, reliant. Don't go on a downer, Darren. You know I mean, no, but too reliant on him because he has been absolutely superb. I mean, what he did last season and the way he's continued it this season because after you've had a such so such a successful season as he had last season sometimes the season after is going to be a little bit harder defenders mark you a little bit tighter but he's continued he's gone from strength to strength and listen again he's he's got to be on at the fore thinking of, of Gareth Southgate for, for the internationals because his form has been superb Okay, I think Ralph Hasenhutl deserves a bit of credit and, of course uh, he does going to be the first one to give it to him um, they were poor in the second half against Tottenham they were badly exposed by that high line he spent the week working on their defensive shape. He got rid of the high line, which clearly wasn't working. He brought in Yannick Vestergaard, which was a masterstroke to deal with Burnley's obvious 
aerial threat and one of the few clean sheets in the Premier League this weekend. So I think you, that's what you need to do as a manager. You identify problems and you work out a way to solve them. And clearly he solved them pretty quickly. Yannick Vestergaard and Jan Bednarek actually defended quite well in the game. Bednarek got man of the match, I think. But Chris Wood had a goal that was ruled out for offside when it looked like he was onside. It wasn't checked by the VAR who was having communication problems with Andre Mariner. Now, I think if you hadn't have had all the other shenanigans with handball and other associated issues, this might have actually garnered greater focus. I mean, even the Sky pictures, they would say, oh, we haven't seen it properly, so we don't know. But we didn't know because VAR didn't check it properly. That was a goal. Well, I mean, when, when I saw the, the, the decision, I wasn't quite sure why it had been ruled out, but you're right, it, it was a goal. Um, but I guess it's another thing that we can chalk off to the whole VAR. <laughs> so I don't think Burnley's Sean Dyche was particularly happy about it. He, oh, he stormed to... off, didn't he? he, he wasn't, and he's, listen, he's, he's got every right not to feel happy. Do you know what I mean? He's got to feel aggrieved. He wasn't as good as the, the, the Jose Mourinho storm off. No, no. That's what no. someone wrote on Twitter. Mourinho heading for the tunnel is, is like when you're in a bar with your mates, which obviously we can't do at the moment, and, and you leave early and you just sneak out the back door. That's pretty much what he did. Wasn't <laughs> it? it wasn't at all like that because he wanted you to see him do it, didn't he? It was more like, I'm trying to get everybody's attention that I'm throwing my toys out of the pram and I'm running down the corridor and making sure that everybody knows that I'm upset and I'm leaving early. But yeah, as he went down the tunnel and then shut the door and... Jao Sacramento had to go and do his bidding on his behalf and ended up getting sent off as a result of it. I actually did worry for a minute that Harry Kane had been sent off and I was desperately scrambling through the uh, the apps <laughs> to make sure that he hadn't been because I was thinking, how many minus fantasy points is that going to give me? Uh, right, that's it from us. We're off to set up a change.org petition to alter the law on handball, only to realise that we don't know how to, so we'll just keep whinging about it instead. Uh, we will see you on Thursday evening for the Game Day Preview Pod with Crook and I and the new assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, Darren Lewis. Ooh, fancy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that the Vauxhall ELCV range is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know that the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van with an electric range of 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you're already thinking of making the leap to an electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall electric vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson. And me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix... From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of Howard Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.